Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Welcome uh, to those of you who have uh, gathered together with us in the building. And to those of you who are watching online, you are also welcome. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that all over the world today, people will gather together like this. It might not be in a, a building that's as big as this. It might be warmer. It might be colder. Father, we thank you that there is something in the human heart that is drawn to you. And so all over the world today, people will come to worship Jesus. And we are part of that worldwide family of believers where hearts are stirring and turning towards you. And so, Father, we thank you where that is our heart, where our hearts are stirred in faith and we look to you. We look for strength for the day. We look for hope for the future. And Father, where there are people who don't yet know you, you are at work in the world and you are turning their hearts towards you as well. And so, Father, we pray that you will provide those folk who can help them to take that step of faith so that new life begins because they come to believe in you. And Father, if during this week we have opportunities to speak to somebody about Jesus, would you help us not to be afraid, but to take that step of faith and to just go for it, because it might make all the difference in the world to that person. We thank you for this time that we have together. We thank you that we gather together in Jesus' name and that as we speak and as we sing and as we hear your word read and talked about, we pray that you would speak to us of him, of all he has done for us and in us and through us. Father, we thank you that his disciples were, were like us, there was so much they just didn't really understand. And like us, they, they, they didn't really know how to pray. And so they asked Jesus to teach them. And it's a reminder that when we ask him, he will teach us, he will lead us, he will guide us, he'll give us what we need. And so as we say together the words that Jesus taught his friends, we share with the church worldwide today and through the ages in repeating these words. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. We carry on the story of Ruth in Ruth chapter 4. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, Come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, Sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative, 
Elimelech, I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me, so that I will know, for no one has the right to to, to it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it, because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses." Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew you throughout he will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This, then, is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Aminadab, Aminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, Boaz, the father of Obed, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David. Amen, and thanks be to God. Let us pray together. Loving God, you came down to our world and lived among us 
in the person of your Son, Jesus Christ. Christ came to us to redeem and save us through the shedding of his blood and the sacrifice of his body. Christ came to save, to help and to heal. So now we pray for those in our families and communities who need this redeeming love today. Loving God, there is so much need around us, in our own families, our neighbourhoods, our towns, our country and our world. So many people needing help that we can often become overwhelmed by it all, overwhelmed by the pain and suffering and hopelessness of those around us. Help us to know where and how we can respond, how we can respond with your love, to tell others of your redeeming love for them. Give us the means, the will, the commitment and the love to reach out in the name of Christ, to offer something of ourselves to others as he offered his all for us. We pray for those who are hungry and living on the streets. As the weather is turning colder and wetter, we pray that they may find shelter and food. We pray for the organisations that offer care and support, that they may find enough volunteers to assist, enough money and enough food to keep providing, and enough energy to keep going. We have once again this week seen evidence of the harsh realities of a changing climate with heavy rain and floods. And so we pray for the COP26 summit happening starting this weekend and over the coming weeks. We pray for the leaders of the countries that are meeting, that these meetings may be productive and not just talking shops, that realistic and achievable outcomes may emerge from these talks. We pray for security and safety for all those involved. And we pray for the police who are providing the security, that they may be kept safe and free from harm. Lord, we are thankful that we live in a country where there is freedom of speech, where there is freedom to protest. But we pray that these protests are done in a safe manner. For with these freedoms come responsibility to keep everyone safe. We give you thanks for all the emergency services who work to keep us all safe in times of need, for their dedication to their work, and we ask that you are with them at all times. We pray for those who are ill and in hospital at this time. We pray for healing, for strength. We pray for the doctors and nurses, and that as the workloads are increasing, and demands on our NHS are getting worse. We pray that they have a sense of strength and energy for all that they have to do in their daily work. We pray for those who are concerned about the health of loved ones. We ask for peace for them in these difficult times. So Lord, we ask that you reach out to all who need you this day with your redeeming love. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Amen.
So, as we said, in the, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, even, you know, if you're in school and you've seen on the telly, it's Black History Month, so there's been a lot of talk about slavery, and we know that even today, there are more slaves in the world than at any other time. So, so this is not something that's just, you know, a story for, for a long time ago. There are still slaves today. In those days, and uh, I suspect now, other than dying, the only ways you could be set free were if you were able somehow to, to get enough money gathered together to, to buy you, you out. And we know that that happens today, that people are, are lured and, and that they're told um, that, that they can come and they can work off the money that it's cost to get them here, and they end up never being able to do it because the interest is so high. Or, if somebody took pity on you and paid that price for you and set you free, the purchase money was called uh, the redemption money. To see a slave, to pay the price, to take them off the market and set them free. In redemption, there is an exchange. One person pays the price so that another can go free. So listen to what these verses from the New Testament uh, tell us about Jesus. Ephesians 1, 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Or Titus chapter 2, verse 14, speaking of Jesus, it says, Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness. Galatians 3, 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Instead of our death, there is his. Instead of our blood, there is his. And today the story was about the kinsman redeemer. Boaz was related to Naomi. He was part of the family. He had the legal right to redeem them. He could purchase the right to take them out of poverty and restore them back to prosperity. There were four conditions that had to be met in order for him to do that. First, he had to be a kinsman. He had to be part of the family. It could be a distant part, but nevertheless, there had to be, you know, the, the second cousin, third removed, all that kind of, but there had to be some connection, a blood relationship. Second, he had to be acceptable to all of the parties who were involved in the transaction. Third, he had to be able to pay the price. That is, he could not get yourself in debt in order to pay to set somebody free. You had to have the money, the wherewithal, to, to be able to do it. And lastly, you had to be willing. <laughs> you know, one of these wasn't willing because it would affect his own family in the future. If, you know, there were, were children with Ruth, then they, they were entitled to part of the inheritance. And so he said, no, I'm not doing that. Chapter 2, 
Chapter 4 tells us that Boaz wasn't the closest. There was another one who had that opportunity first. And so they reached this agreement, this bargain, and they did it properly. And the wee Mills and Boone bit comes in. Do you know, it's a, it's a happy wee love story, a happy ending. They get married. It's all, oh, it's lovely. Right? And they have a baby. Oh, it gets better and better all the time. And then that baby becomes the father of, the father of David. And when you get to the New Testament and you get the genealogies of the, the people who were important in, in the history of, of Jesus and that story, who's in there? Ruth. Ruth the outsider. Ruth the one who is redeemed and brought into the family. Ruth who came from poverty. Ruth whose life was transformed because she was redeemed. Boaz was kin, he was acceptable, he was able, and he was willing. Look at Jesus. John 1.14 says this, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The message uh, translation says, he moved into our neighborhood. He left glory and he became human. Why? Because he had to be part of the family. There had to be a blood relationship. The Lord of glory became our kinsman. Was he acceptable? Yes, absolutely. Both God and human. Was he able? Totally. Because he was without sin. Was he willing? Yes. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, when, when he was struggling with it, he reached the point of saying, not my will, but your will be done. He was willing. So he perfectly fulfilled the Old Testament illustration of being a kinsman redeemer. There are three things that I think we need to understand to really get what redemption is all about. The first is that we are all by nature slaves to sin. Romans 3.23 says this, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Other than Jesus, no human being has ever been perfect and without sin. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 to 6 in the message version say this, it wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it. All of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole load of us. 
I'm going to ask a question of those who are or have been parents. At what age did you start teaching your children to do wrong things? How much time did you spend showing them how to have a wee hissy fit, a wee temper tantrum, how to stamp the wee foot? How much time did we spend doing that? Well, I hope you didn't spend any time doing it. But nevertheless, that's what happens. Human beings do things that are wrong. And from very early in life. Why? Because Paul says here, we are all by nature slaves to sin. And I know that's not a popular idea, but it's true. Sin then is a chain around your neck. It weighs you down. It keeps you from God. It enslaves us, leaving us helpless and hopeless until somebody reaches down to help us. Second, redemption is about Jesus paying the price to free us with his own blood. That's why we have all these bits in the Old Testament about sacrifices and and bulls and goats and doves and, and all of that stuff. You couldn't get into the presence of God without a blood sacrifice. Even the the, the high priest couldn't do that. God never meant that, you know, we would be pleased by that. There are people who, you know, come into church or or (laughs) watch us online and they hear us singing about the blood of the Lamb and they're repulsed by it. And, And in a way, I can understand that. It's not a very pleasant and endearing image. Blood is not a pretty thing. Blood makes a lot of people really squeamish. And the thought of, you know, the blood of Jesus having some effect is quite difficult. But if you take away the blood of Jesus, then you destroy our faith. Think about what we, we sang. What gift of grace is Jesus, my Redeemer? There's no more for heaven now to give. And then it continues. No fate I dread. I know I'm forgiven. The future, sure. The price it has been paid for. Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon. And he was raised to overthrow the grave To this I hold. My sin has been defeated. Jesus now and ever is my plea. Or the chains are released. I can sing I am free. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. In a moment or two, we're going to sing an older hymn. And it says this, there is a fountain filled with blood. Imagine that. I mean, you, you see uh, Extinction Rebellion and these folk, they go to Trafalgar Square and they throw red dye in the fountain and it looks horrible. And we're singing there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, drawn from the veins of Jesus. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty state. How does that work? 
Because if you've ever managed to get a tiny wee drop of blood on a white shirt, you'll know it's really difficult to get it out. It says, Dear dying lamb, thy precious blood shall never lose its power till all the ransomed church of God are saved to sin no more. I don't know about you, but I know that I often compare myself with other people. You can look at them, you see, and you can go, oh, well, I'm not that bad. I've never done that. And we like to, we like to rank sin because then we can make sure that we only do the little ones. You know, I mean, it was only a little white lie after all. Do you know, it's not that bad. And when you look at them, I mean, they're really bad. So they, they're up there somewhere. Me, I'm, I'm, I'm just in here. As if somehow it makes a difference to God who says sin is sin is sin. And it all needs to be dealt with. So it doesn't matter if we can somehow make ourselves feel better by thinking we're, we're better than we actually are because we've only done the little ones. And not that many, actually. Or whether we look at some mass murderer and say, oh, well, I'm not that bad. Sin, any sin, makes a barrier between us and God. And it needs to be dealt with. And we can't do it. There is nothing that I can do to bring myself closer to God. And there's nothing you can do. Only a redeemer can break that barrier and make us right with God. And thirdly, redemption means that we are set free from sin. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. I don't know... But I think that should maybe excite God's people. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So do you know what? When you're sitting this week and that wee voice comes in your head, oh, do you remember when? Sorry, you want to do what? Oh, no, you're, you're not good enough for that. Oh, no. No, no, no. There's no point in speaking to that person. I mean, you don't really know what to say. When that wee voice comes, do you know what you can do? You can say, no, no, there's no condemnation for me. Get back in your box. Jesus has set me free. And it's his strength that I live my life in. The only way that sin is, is broken and that we are able to, to have a relationship with God is by coming to the cross where Jesus died and asking him for forgiveness and saying, yes, Lord, I trust you 
and I want to follow you. That's what redemption is. Because his promise is the price has been paid and it's been paid in full. For all the things that I've ever done or ever will do, the price is paid and it's been paid in full. And for all you've ever done or ever will do, the price is paid and it's been paid in full. So you don't need to worry about it. You don't need to worry about what more you can do to be good enough because you can't do anything to make you good enough. But the price has already been paid and paid in full. And so there are two implications of this for us. Number one is that we are extremely valuable to God, not because of what we are, but because of the cost that was paid. Sometimes you go to an auction and you see some tiny little bit of, we used to call it in our, uh, in our family, tourist tat. You know when you go on holiday and you go to the shops and it's, it's cheap rubbish in all the shops for the tourists? You go there and you, you go to the auction and you see this little bit of tourist tat and you think, who would pay? Who would pay anything for that? And the first bid comes in and it's 50 pounds and you think, get off your head. And it, and it goes up. And suddenly it's 100 pounds, 150 pounds, and 200 pounds. And you're looking, you just want to get up and scream, you're mad, what are you doing? It's tat. And it sells for 10,000 pounds. You think, ah! It's worth what somebody will pay for it. It might be tat. Or maybe it's something really important that you don't know and haven't understood. But it's worth what somebody will pay for it. You are worth the death of Jesus. You are worth the death of Jesus. That's how valuable he thinks you are. And secondly, our position could not be improved. We are set free from sin. We have redemption right now. We stand before God as his sons and his daughters. We are forgiven. The Bible says that we are already spiritually seated with Christ in heaven. I don't understand that, but that's what it says. That is my status. Now, obviously I'm wondering about here, but spiritually somehow I am already with God in heaven because Jesus is there. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. We are in a good position for life. And it's the result of the redemption and the grace of God. I heard a story about a man who had been in prison and he'd just got out. He'd served his time. He was out on parole and he moved with his wife to a new town to get a new start. And he had about a month and a half left on his parole. And he was afraid to go back to his old home because he thought he would get in trouble because all the folk that he had got in trouble with before they were still there and he was really worried about it and he didn't know what he'd do because if he went back and he got into trouble he would break his parole and he would end up back in jail now he'd done something sensible and done done something that seems quite reasonable he'd got out of the situation but he still had this fear And I wonder if that's the way many of us feel about redemption. We don't think we've really been set free. Because if we're honest, we know that we still sin. 
We know that we still do things and think things and say things that we shouldn't do. We know that. But the truth is there is no condemnation for those of us who believe in Jesus. We have been set free. It doesn't make us perfect. But it means that when we are tempted, we can say, hang on. No. Jesus came into the prison. He opened the door and it can never be closed on us again. He took us out by the hand and he paid the price. We are not on parole. And we're never going back to jail again. Redemption is a gift of God with no strings attached. It's a free gift. You don't have to be good to be redeemed. In fact, you can't be good enough to be redeemed. Only people in prison or in slavery need to be set free. It's not even that you can try hard, because that doesn't work either. It's not a parole, it's a pardon. He's not putting you out on conditional behavior. It's a complete pardon for all of your sin. What we have to do is accept it. But you do have to accept it. And he does expect us then to change our behavior and our attitudes. In the year 1829, a man by the name of George Wilson had been arrested, tried and convicted for murder uh, and from theft. Because his family was well known, uh, when he was sent to prison, they made an appeal after appeal. And eventually the appeals reached the desk of President Andrew Jackson. After he reviewed the files, and because he knew the family and their background, um, he decided that what he would do was offer um, not just clemency, but a pardon to George Wilson. So they took the news into the prison. George, George, the president's given you a pardon. Isn't that good? And he refused it. He said, I don't want it. I'm guilty. He said, George, he's given you a pardon. You, you have to take it. He said, no, I don't. I'm guilty. I've been sentenced to death and I deserve to die. So, of course, this resulted in a legal battle. I mean, who in their right mind would have imagined a situation when the president gives you a pardon and you go, I don't want that, thanks very much. Very nice, but no. So they had this big legal battle and it went all the way to the Supreme Court and the decision came down from Chief Justice John Marshall who said this, a pardon is of no effect until it's accepted by the one for whom it is intended. He went on, though it's almost inconceivable that a condemned criminal would refuse a pardon. If he does refuse it, the pardon is of no effect. George Wilson must die. And die he did because he refused the pardon that had been offered. We have a choice to accept or decline the pardon that God offers. If we choose to decline, then we live with the consequences of that choice in this life and the next, which is separation from God. Jesus has already paid for it. But he doesn't force his way into our lives. The Bible says, in fact, that he stands at the door of your life, the door of your heart, and knocks. And he waits to be invited in. The pardon has been offered. It's up to us to decide whether or not we take it. 
if you don't know Jesus already and you would like to, and you would like to receive and accept the pardon that he offers, I'm going to say a prayer. And in the quietness in your, in your head, if you simply say after me, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. I know that I cannot save myself. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for paying the price for my sin. Would you come into my heart and be my savior? I open my heart and my life to you. Thank you that you are the great redeemer. Amen. It is both as simple and as significant as that. If you prayed that prayer, then please tell somebody because we want to help you with what comes next. Jesus, you've commanded us to break bread and share wine until you come again. Send us out then to prepare your way, to work for your kingdom, to be filled by your spirit, and to learn to look like we've been forgiven. Amen.